Listen to them. Children of the night. What music they make. There are things that go bump in the night, and we are the ones who bump back. Somewhere in the cosmos, perhaps, intelligent life may be watching these lights of ours, aware of what they mean. Or do our lights wander a lifeless cosmos? I couldn't help at one point in our discussions with General Secretary Gorbachev. I couldn't help but say to him, just think how easy his task and mine might be in these meetings that we held. If suddenly there was a threat to this world from another planet outside in the universe, well, I don't suppose we could wait for some alien race to come down and threaten us, but I think that between us we can bring about that realization. Hello and welcome, Crypt Keepers. Welcome to another episode of Cryptique, where Ryan and I bring you stories of the paranormal, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, folklore, and conspiracy theories. Send us case suggestions at crypticpodcast at gmail.com and tell all of your friends about the show. What are we talking about tonight, Ryan? Tonight we are talking about gang stalking. So gang stalking is what's mostly described as imagined or perceived persecution by a group of people against what has become known as a targeted individual, or we might refer to them as TIs throughout the show, where a seemingly ordinary mundane existence is interrupted by gangs of people, usually government entities, stalking, persecuting, and generally being a terrible hazard in someone's life through, you know, constant surveillance. Sometimes they believe that they're having like sonic weapons used on them. Mm-hmm. Government type, government testing of mental weapons, um, that sort of stuff. Yeah, I've heard stories from people who, and actually not there was one last year that I had read about that was not even identified as a case of gang stalking. Although it seems like that's what it probably was Mm -hmm. where a guy in LA, I want to say he he wrote this book about it and he was saying that he was being persecuted by this group and he thought it was uh, like the triad or something Mm -hmm. like that's what he wound up. uh, I think they're, aren't they Japanese? I think the triads Chinese. Well, he thought he was being persecuted by this group because he said mm-hmm. that he had had this experience with an Asian, a person of Asian descent, like didn't know exactly where they were from or what their heritage was. Right. You know, just knew that it wasn't like a typical looking, you know, white American or, or, right. you know, something that was easily identifiable. You mm-hmm. know, it was just some kind of Asian descent. And he was like, yeah, you know, didn't think anything of it. Uh, and I think he said that he thought the person was speaking Japanese. <laughs> anyway, he uh, 
it, it was like somebody that he actually met. You know, I believe that he had this encounter with this person. Right. And then he starts, you know, he says something that that might have been offensive. And then all of a sudden he starts noticing scratches and nicks on his car, mm-hmm. you know, that he really tried to take care of. And he what else? He, he was hearing noise in his apartment, like much, much louder than the normal noises you would hear from a neighbor, you know, at various times of the night. Yeah, he would hear these noises. It sounded like people were partying around him. You know, he'd find things moved in his apartment. He thought that he was losing time. He thought that people were drugging his food. Mm-hmm. He would like refuse to, if he ate something, he would eat all of it in one sitting. And if he didn't finish it, he would throw it away. He kept nothing in his fridge. He like anything he bought, he would go to the store and buy all the stuff to, to make his dinner that night. Or he would go mm-hmm. to a restaurant and buy it on the spur of the moment, eat it right there, throw the rest away. And he tells stories about thinking that he's been like kidnapped and taken places and seen things. And he, he swears that these black helicopters are watching him and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. at the end of the story, it's just like, I'm pretty sure this is gang stalking. Mm hmm. Because all the stuff he's talking about is like, you know, if it's just nicks on your car, Mm -hmm. you know, loud noises from your neighbors when this person is somebody that lives near you that you had this interaction with. Like that stuff's believable. But when it comes to like there are helicopters hovering outside your house and you're just working as like a, you know, kind of a low level writer or something in Hollywood or like an office worker. Like Mm -hmm. why, why would any organization commit? millions to doing right. this because it would take millions to keep helicopters in the air 24 right. seven to watch you and hire all these people. And especially the black helicopters they talk about that are like the military yeah, stealth like helicopters or something. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There would be no reason to dedicate resources like that to an average Joe. That's for sure. Right. So anyway, long story, but there's lots of stories like that. You've probably heard what would be classified as a gang stalking type story. Uh, and maybe just didn't have it identified as that because this author definitely didn't think that that's what he was going through. And there mm-hmm. were people that he was dealing with who were like, oh, for a certain amount of money, I can scan your body for implants and take stuff out. And it's like, yeah, this guy's just scamming you for money. Yeah. Like he's just taking like the cordless thing off of his shark vacuum and rubbing it over your stomach and telling you that he's scanning you. <laughs> like, yeah. Get out of there. <laughs> Yeah. And and that's one of the saddest things is that for the most part, I think that people don't decide like, I want some attention. I'm going to say that I'm being gang stalked. It's usually the signs of an underlying mental illness that will, you know, hopefully be addressed at some point in their life. And we'll get into that a little bit, but just because 99% of the people that say they're being gang stalked are mentally ill, that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen to 1% of the people, or it doesn't mean that because someone is mentally ill, that they're not being gang stalked. It's just a matter of what you believe would be the reason I mean, the mm-hmm. only reason that I can think of that an average Joe would be quote unquote gang stalked is strictly for testing out techniques or technology to see how it affects someone, knowing that if that person came forward and said this is happening, 
I'm being targeted, people would, they wouldn't believe it. They wouldn't, hmm. uh, they wouldn't give it a second thought. They'd be like, well, you know, so-and-so's crazy. They think there's helicopters around their house or whatever. And I would say that that 1% are most likely being surveilled. And I think there's a difference between gang stalking and just being surveilled because there are people that are working on things that the government wants. Not every military technology came from a military establishment. Some of the stuff is being created by people that aren't in the military. And I could see how the government would want to keep up with those people and may use some sort of surveillance to keep track of them. But I think what we're getting into is the, like you said, the average person that thinks they're being followed by helicopters and and things like that, which just doesn't make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a, there's an old fashioned saying for what you tried to put gently earlier, which is just cause you're crazy. doesn't mean they're not out to get you. That's very true. <laughs> um, and there are reports of, you know, like MK ultra and stuff like that, where people were being tested, but in the MK ultra, which we'll cover at some point, it's, not consistent with what gang stalker victims or targeted individuals are reporting. You know, they're not saying like, oh, we were tricked into this, you know, party atmosphere where there were all these loose women and all these drugs. They're saying, you know, I was, you know, sitting in my easy chair in the window reading an Anne Rice novel. And I noticed there were guys in camouflage in the tree outside my house with all kinds of different scopes and listening devices and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of the gang stalking stuff is like there was a guy who stopped and turned and put his foot up on the front steps of this brownstone as I was walking down the street. And I knew that he was like, trying to intimidate me. Right. Doing this. So reports of gang stalking, began emerging at least 15 years ago by self-described targeted individuals, or like you said, TIs, claiming to be followed, surveilled, harassed, and otherwise victimized by unknown forces wielding high-tech weapons of mind control. Since then, much more has been written about this phenomenon, especially over the last few years, with national attention devoted to a few notable cases of violence and mass shootings perpetrated by people identifying as TIs. These journalistic accounts in the mainstream press, as well as in self-publication sites like Medium and two Vice documentary features, offer intimate, sympathetic, and compelling portraits of those who identify as victims of gang stalking. By way of summary, T.I. is typically described living in a state of constant fear, seeing evidence of being followed by unmarked police cars in every black SUV that drives by, of being zapped by extremely low frequency or ELF radiation, or voice to skull v2k technology in every tingling sensation or bodily ache and of malevolent intentions in other people's every gesture interviews often note the ti's don't appear unusual disheveled or otherwise crazy and that some of them are doctors acclaimed novelists and other reasonably well-functioning professionals indeed the ti community is comprised of thousands of diverse individuals coming from all walks of life with similarly diverse accounts of who might be harassing them and why. 
I just wanted to jump in there real quick. Something else that affects thousands of diverse individuals coming from all walks of life with similarly diverse accounts of who might be harassing them and why is also consistent with mental illness. That is true. Yeah. Uh, For example, the who is variably attributed to neighbors, ex-boyfriends, employers, police, and other law enforcement agencies, the financial elite, or less conventional sources like Freemasons and space aliens, (laughs) which I like to never think of as the aliens guy from History Channel. The Mm -hmm. why is often attributed to retaliation for ending relationships, acting as whistleblowers at work, political activism, having run-ins with the law, or being privy to secret information. Seemingly motiveless harassment is chalked up to being a helpless victim of experimentation by government agencies testing new techniques of surveillance or mind control. So like what you were saying earlier, Mm -hmm. if there's a common thread to the accounts of gang stalking, it's the TIs describe considerable suffering, not only as a result of ongoing concerns about being harassed, but also from the experience of physical symptoms like pain and hearing voices and the significant social stigma associated with sharing their claims with family friends and mental health professionals who routinely dismiss them as crazy. As a result, TIs have found solace on the internet where they share war stories and survival strategies with like-minded individuals who have similarly found themselves at the center of a vast conspiracy. Kind of wanted to leave off theory. Well, I wonder about the rapper TI. You know who I'm talking about? I mean, I've never, never known what TI stood for. I wonder if it was targeted individual. I don't know. I've never thought about it. I do know who you're talking about. I've never thought about it. But he's famous, so he probably actually is targeted. It could be. I I think the theory that the government tests things on unwitting participants is proven. I mean, it's proven through the Tuskegee experiments. It's proven through uh, the vaccine experiments that took place here in St. Louis where they were they were saying they were giving a vaccine I believe for gonorrhea but were actually sterilizing people. So it does happen. It just probably doesn't happen to the hundreds of thousands of self-proclaimed targeted individuals. Uh-huh. I mean, if you were to test some sort of mental weapon, you would probably want to test it on you know, black and white, old and young, male and female, to see what the results would be if there were any differences uh, based on genetics or anything like that. But I just think the sheer number of people, you know, it's like a kind of a me too environment. And I don't mean that in relation to, you know, the, the movement that's going on in Hollywood or anything like that. I just mean, it's like a Oh, yeah, I saw a black SUV in front of my house last night, too. And I think that describing yourself or feeling perhaps that you're a targeted individual is a way for you to feel important. Hmm. Like they're targeting me because I'm special. I may I, I may be a server at a restaurant but they know how smart I really am and they, they know my potential. So they want to hold me back sort of thing. Yeah. Do do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. I understand what you're talking about. And one of the things with these experiences that could help it kind of spread, like you're saying is that they're also common. 
Mm-hmm. Like, have you seen anybody tying their shoe who glanced up at you? They're they're watching. Right. That's a that's a tactic. Like you see it in a, a spy movie mm-hmm. or the black SUV that drove by. It's not just that SUVs are like unreasonably popular in this country. <laughs> it's right. that the government is using them to watch you. Right. So it, they're really, really common experiences that people have. And if you put it in somebody's mind, it, it's probably almost like the same thing as when you buy a car. Okay. It's like you buy an Outback and all of a sudden you see Outbacks everywhere. Right. You buy a, you know, a Malibu and you see Malibus everywhere. It's like mm-hmm. one of those things. It's like when somebody mentions it to you, you start seeing them all over the place. It's like the first time I saw a review of the new Ford Bronco, I started mm-hmm. noticing Broncos all over the place. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Broncos, just a quick aside, they seem like they either come as a total piece of shit or a bad ass four wheeling machine. Like there's, <laughs> there's not like I see them and they look like, I mean, they have like the regular, you know, like the tin wheels or whatever that mm-hmm. need hubcaps. And, and then I see some like the Bigfoot edition or the Sasquatch edition, whatever it is with, you know, 42 inch tires and, you know, a, I don't know, a 429 Thunder jet engine in them or something <laughs> like that. You know, it's, it's either yeah. feast or famine with the Bronco, but anyway, <laughs> all right. This, your observation that does, that does seem to be, it's either like it's, it either looks escape. like a Kia or it looks like a badass Jeep. <laughs> yep. Yep. There you go. That's perfect. All right. The subjective reality of paranoia. Of course, stalking by a single individual is a dangerous reality for some, especially women fleeing abusive relationships and other targets of erotomania. Um, I'm assuming with erotomania, they're talking about stalkers that are maybe attempting to uh, look in people's windows, maybe planning a rape, uh, sexual assault, that sort of thing. Is that what you get out of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So what's sad is that we see these targeted individuals uh, of, you know, self-proclaimed gang stalking and we dismiss them. Okay. That, that makes sense to me a little bit, but what's sad is in this country, we do see women coming from abusive relationships and we're like, ah, well, we kind of got to wait till he does something before we can, you know, intervene or, you know, you can get a protection order, but he'll know you got it and he can fight it and all this stuff. And so we don't take them seriously enough. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree that I've seen I've personally seen situations of not really abuse, but neglect mm-hmm. for like children and things like that, where, you know, you get child protective services in over and over and they say everything's fine. And then something happens and a cop has to show up and the cops immediately like this isn't right. Like we got to do something mm-hmm. about this. And it's like the child protective services people yes. didn't do anything. They're like, well, this isn't bad enough for us to intervene. And the cop yes. shows up and is like, no, this is fucked up. We got to do something. Yeah. So yeah, we do have a thing of sometimes not, not listening to people or waiting for better, you know, more, I guess, convincing proof. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard any cases of gang stalking that, it actually was proven out to be real. Uh, neither do I. So, and that's either, I mean, that's not proof that it doesn't exist either. Right. Exactly. That's proof that the people who are able to follow you and surveil you in such a sophisticated way 
are also able to evade detection. Yes, and that's that's the proof to the TI is that you know these people are so good. They're mm-hmm. so good they'll never get caught, but a few real events in history such as the CIA's MK Ultra mind control program and the FBI's Cointel Pro surveillance program of the 1950s have occurred. Just as the modern-day mass manipulation of human behavior through social media is a reality in which we all now live. But if you aren't personally experiencing gang stalking, it's hard for an outsider, much less a psychiatrist, to accept it as anything other than a textbook example of paranoia. That's the reason the conclusion of the few mental health researchers that have examined gang stalking to date. In 2006, Dr. Vaughn Bell and colleagues published an analysis of 10 online accounts of, quote, mind control experiences, unquote, consistent with gang stalking, though they didn't mention the word gang stalking explicitly. When assessed by three independent psychiatrists, all of the accounts were classified as consistent with the evidence of a psychotic disorder. In 2015, Doctors Lorraine Sheridan and David James conducted an analysis of 128 responses to a survey about stalking that similarly concluded that 100% of cases involving gang stalking by multiple coordinated individuals reflected paranoid delusions. In contrast, only 4% of those reporting stalking by a single individual were deemed to be delusional. So basically, if you think there's a gang of people dedicated to stalking you, it's probably not true. But if you are, say, a female or male, because there's been cases, I mean, I've been stalked, but um, only 4% of those are seen as being unreal or delusional or psychotic. Actually, I do wonder what, what makes that more believable. Is it that they don't involve black helicopters or is it that they are like, I see that it's the same person. Like I see that it's this guy wearing mirrored sunglasses in a members only jacket and he follows me everywhere. (laughs) And I know that it's somebody that I used to work with and I told him no when he asked me for a date. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean that, that seems to be what they're saying here. I mean, and you know, it makes sense. So. In both of these studies, gang stalking claims were attributed to paranoia because they defied credulity, often due to the sheer amount of resources or level of coordinated organization that would be necessary to carry out what was claimed. If you have kids, think about how hard it is to keep an eye on your kid all the time. Mm. You know, they could be back in their room, you know, they brought a candy bar back there, you didn't see them do it. And all of a sudden, their sheets have chocolate all over them. Um, most parents have probably had a situation at a store or a fair or the zoo or something where they lose track of their kid for a second. They don't see them. And it's like, you know, that shot of fear that goes through you. So your job is to watch your kid and take care of your kid. And sometimes it's hard to do. And they're not always trying to, you know, evade you. And yeah. and a lot of times you have to hire somebody to help you. Right. And they might suck too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they might lose them too. You're hiring somebody whose job it is to look after this kid. And every once in a while they're going to be like, oh, you know, I forgot. Like, where are they? Where'd they go? Right. 
And, you know, especially if these people that claim to be targeted individuals are, in my best estimation, probably trying to evade their stalkers. I mean, it's not like they put on a bright yellow shirt and hat and go walking down the street and, you know, announce like, hey, I'm going to work now. And, you know, they're probably trying to keep it on the down low and and get away from these people. So it would take a lot of uh, resources. And, And we hear about all the time on Exploring Evil, we talk about, oh, well, the police had surveillance on them, but they lost them. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've tried to follow people just like, that sounds odd. <laughs> I I tried to help a buddy of mine years ago who was trying to propose. Mm-hmm. And he was like, can you bring one of your cameras with a long lens and just try to get a picture when I do it? Like, so she doesn't mm-hmm. even know you're there. Right. And I was like, yeah, that shouldn't be a problem at all. Sounds it was fun. A big club like with a piano player up on stage and all this stuff going on and all these people everywhere. And I swear to God, it took her one and a half seconds to spot me. Yeah. Like I saw them walk by, I'm in the back, I'm in like this booth area, you know, I've got my camera kind of down at my side and she just looks over and she's like, Oh, Hey, yeah. What are, what are you doing here? And I was like, just hanging out. And she's like, Oh, well, and like started to say something, but then she was like, yeah, we got it. We're going up here. Like, cause he had made some excuse as to why they were approaching the stage. Mm-hmm. Like I even knew where they were going. I knew where they were going to be. We knew the guy that was playing the piano that night and it was still yes. a thing of like, I couldn't keep track of them. And when I knew exactly where they were going to be and tried to like pick my spot to hang out, like spotted immediately. Right. So it's one of those things like I had a crowd to hide in and everything. And it was easy to see that somebody was watching them. Like very, very easy to see that there was somebody in the crowd paying attention to what they were doing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my point. Like, yeah, like a lot of these people are saying that, you know, somebody was doing something that seems mundane, but they're really watching you. And it's like if somebody's really watching you, you'll probably notice. Well, and, you know, we talk about resources, you know, if you're on a stakeout, you know, they talk about like, well, I've got a 12 hour shift for a stakeout today. And it's like, well, dude. 12 hours, you're probably going to have to go somewhere and go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. So you drive, you know, five minutes up the street to use the restroom at a gas station, come back, that person's gone. And it's, I mean, to think that there would be two cars of people following you. And so one can take a bathroom break if they need to, but you know, they don't lose track of you. It's, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to reconcile. There's a really good scene in the show, the Americans where the FBI is trying to tail these guys. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's back in the day, it's back in the eighties. And so they're all connected by radio and they're like, okay, you pull off of this street and you pull back onto this street and they're tracking where the car's going. And they're like one car tails them for a little while and pulls off and goes someplace else. And another one gets behind them. And then they're just kind of, you know, tagging in and out. So it's not obvious Mm -hmm. that there's one, there's just one car following them the whole time. Right. And it seems really realistic the way they portray it. It's like, what other way would you do it other than, you know, I mean, now you probably have GPS, but it still is one of these things of like, I guess you have the find my app going on everybody's iPhone and you can see everybody, but you still have to be coordinating. Like, okay, you drop off here. I'm going to go up here. We think he's going to turn left. So you guys need to start heading that direction. It's just, it's a really complicated thing to have, 
you know, multiple cars following you and all this other stuff where, you know, it's probably more likely that you're, you know, imagining that somebody's aggressive driving is them trying to like get right up on you and intimidate you or, yeah. you know, that the fact that you've seen 10 Dodge darts that are orange right. is not just the fact that that was a popular color for that model. <laughs> so there's right. going to be a couple of them around. Well, every car, it seems like they're trying to look the same now. Like if you look mm-hmm. at like a Chevy Cruze, a Chevy Malibu, they're really similar. I mean, That's like their, their lines and everything are really similar. It just one's a little bit bigger. And if you look at uh, like a Chevy Cruze, I can't think of the, uh, like the Hyundai, whatever their small sedan is and whatever the small um, Kia sedan is, they all yeah. look the same. I mean, they look exactly the same. I mean, Kias, Kias and, and Hyundai's are pretty much the same. They're, yeah. it's kind of like Ford and Mazda. They have a lot of platform sharing because I think Hyundai owns a big stake in Kia if they don't own them outright. So you're oh, right. Like sense. the Sonata and the K5, which are their sort of midsize four door sedans, mm-hmm. literally are the same car. Yeah. It's the same platform. And, you know, it's like the badging and bodywork is different. Yeah. So there's only so different cars can get when they're literally based on the same underlying yeah. architecture. Right. Well, if these people are brilliant enough to be able to maintain surveillance on you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, wouldn't you think they would get the most used car out there? I mean, if, if it was me, I'd say, what's the number one selling car, number one selling color. That's mm-hmm. what I'm using for my surveillance. Yeah. It would be like a dark blue F one fifty something like that or a minivan or something Mm -hmm. you know minivan you can throw a bucket in the back and you don't have to worry about going to the gas station but that's neither here nor there oh god yeah (laughs) all right so vigilance keeping an eye out for and being generally wary of potential threats is normal and can transform into exaggerated hypervigilance under various conditions such as having been an actual victim of violence So some of these people could have been victims at some point and it's just hard for them to get over that trauma. Yeah. Yeah. That's a reasonable explanation for it. Cause it's like when you live in an apartment and you watch a scary movie, Mm -hmm. like all the normal noises that your neighbors make sound a little bit more suspicious. Mm -hmm. Was that really them closing their cabinet or was that cabinet in my apartment? Yeah. You know, or if you are, you know, walking down the street and all of a sudden somebody comes and punches you in the face for no reason and walks away, you're going to be thinking when you're walking down the street every time, like, fuck, I got to watch out. Somebody could just punch me in the face. doesn't mean it's ever going to happen again, but that reality is there for you. And it's probably something very difficult to let go of when you don't have a specific reason for something like that happening to you. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really random event. But yeah, if something like I mean, that happened happen. to you. Yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah, but you're right. It'd be like, well, how could you ever trust anything if you're just walking down the street? Every time mm-hmm. I've ever been punched in the face in my life, I knew it was coming. Yeah. Or I, I had some idea. I either knew that I did something that deserved it or <laughs> that there was a good chance it was going to happen given the context of what was going on. Right. <laughs> There's so many, only so many F-bombs you can call somebody before they (laughs) swing. Yep. 
For an excellent portrayal of what it's like to be married to someone with a delusional disorder, listen to the episode of This American Life called You Can't Handle the Truth. This helps to explain why, aside from their idiosyncratic beliefs, many TIs don't appear to be obviously delusional. But Digging Deeper tells a different story. Many TIs report concerns not only about gang stalking, but about other common symptoms of mental illness, such as auditory hallucinations or voice hearing, and even less plausible beliefs such as having implants inside their bodies that can control their thoughts, or that people have been replaced by aliens. Yeah, the implants is something I read about a lot. Mm. People find like a little lump or something, or uh, some even claim that they get you know, MRIs or whatever, and that there's, you know, a lump or some kind of foreign Mm. object found. And they're convinced that that's, you know, something that's controlling them or doing something. Yeah. But none of them ever have a good reveal as to what it was. Right. They, They never know what it was. Like they never take it out. And it's like, you know, this is like, yeah, this is, this is something. It looks like the microchip we would put in a dog. You know, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll, we need to figure out what this is. This is some kind of tracker or whatever. It's like, it's always just a suspicious thing on an yeah. x-ray or an MRI. And I have a little bit of trouble believing that something that's so small that it would be hard to detect inside the body would be able to communicate with anything. Mm. You know? I have a like a $1,200 iPhone 13 Pro Max and the thing doesn't get a signal in my basement. Yeah. <laughs> How is something that's the size of a grain of rice like embedded in my arm going to communicate with the outside world? I mean, I get that the government, if you believe it's a government thing. They would have access to that technology. They would, yeah, there'd be something that it would be, you know, they would have some kind of technology good enough to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's just using some technology we don't understand, higher quality parts, like piggybacking off some kind of... Or other, if it's actually aliens. Yeah, or if it's actually aliens. Or, or like if it's piggybacking off something else, like, oh, it's managing to connect to your phone through Bluetooth and it's using your phone's connection or it's connecting to yeah. a Wi-Fi signal or, or a surveillance van outside. Which, by the way, was always the hotspot name for my phone. Surveillance van? Yeah, surveillance van or like my home Wi-Fi in my old apartment was like surveillance van five because I always mm-hmm. wanted to see if like my neighbors would talk about it. Like, what, the f- what is this? I always see this. We have undercover police car in our neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> but the best the best one ever is at my vet's office. You know, you go in and it's it's kind of out in the country mm-hmm. and you go in and they have their Wi-Fi and, you know, you're your phone pops up and it's like, Oh, what Wi-Fi would you like to hook up to the house next to the place? Their Wi-Fi is big gay dicks and it pops up every time you go in there. It's the strongest signal and it pops up and they have gone to talk to the guy and been like, listen, you know, it's just, is there any way you can change this? This is very, you know, it comes off as very unprofessional, even though it's not, our establishment, not everybody understands, you know, how these things work. And they might think someone in the vet office is like, but anyway, not, no, I I love, I love good Wi-Fi names. Yeah. I I just think they're so fucking funny, but like I, one of the better ones I've ever heard was pretty fly for a Wi-Fi. That's pretty good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Anyway, Even those with quote-unquote pure paranoia appear to display textbook examples of delusional thinking. 
The author has worked with hundreds if not thousands of people with paranoid delusions, including but not limited to those who have claimed to be victims of gang stalking. In such cases, claims of persecution defy credulity on several grounds. First, there's the unbelievably vast extent of what's claimed. Fleets of black SUVs with tinted windows, persecutors in disguise on every street corner, and futuristic secret technology being deployed from God knows where. <laughs> Second, there's a lack of any obvious or credible motive for the persecution. Why would the CIA be devoting considerable resources to keep an average Joe under constant surveillance for years on end? Note that paranoia and grandiosity, an exaggerated sense of self-importance, often go hand in hand. Third, the persecutory experiences continue regardless of attempts to escape or relocate, including when hospitalized in the inpatient psychiatry ward and are contradicted by acquaintances or family and friends living in close proximity. So, and this actually relates to the story that I was telling earlier, you know, for, mm -hmm. kind of briefly. This guy talked about living in L.A. He'd move. He'd move like a mile away. The same thing would start happening. He even moved across the country to the East Coast. Mm -hmm. basically and same thing all the same stuff started happening again he believed that no matter where he went in the country same thing was happening the same group the same black helicopters all that sort of stuff and um, it's important that that the listener understands that we are not making fun of these people a lot of people laugh at people that claim to be ti's and in reality it's sad. It's not something to be made fun of. It's something to try and help somebody with. It's, it's, to me, it's no different than if someone says, you know, I turn into a Bigfoot at a full moon and go walking in the woods. Well, yeah, that's funny, but that person probably needs help. Mm -hmm. Or they're actually turning into a Bigfoot. <laughs> that would be they so need awesome. To, need to put them down. Track them down. I mean, this Get could be on one video. of those things. Yeah, this could be one of those things where... Like you said before, if something bad happens to you, everything else looks more suspicious. Right. So, you know, I think um, being delusional about gang stalking doesn't necessarily rule out that something is happening, that mm -hmm. somebody's messing with you. Sure. The gang stalking element of it might be taking it too far in your mind. Yeah. You know, seeing this persecution from everywhere when it really is coming from somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, somebody's teeping your house or banging on your walls or scratching your car. Uh, but you see behavior that's slightly out of the ordinary. You see somebody glance up at you or mm -hmm. you see the same person twice in one day and you're like, they're, they're following me. They have to be right. Their mind doesn't seem to be following a pattern that makes sense to most of us because mm -hmm. every thought process comes to a fork. So is this person following me? Yes or no? Probably no, but they go to yes. And then their next fork in the road is, why are they following me? And mm -hmm. at that point, it's already too late. You can't go back to, well, I mean, you can, but it's hard to go back to that first fork and be like, no, why would anybody be following me? I'm just being paranoid. That's silly. You know? Right. So by process of elimination, as well as recognition as a textbook case, paranoid delusions often offer the best explanation for most gang stalking claims. Of course, it's the rule that people with delusional disorder tend to avoid being labeled as mentally ill and spurn referrals to psychiatric help. 
But one more thing that can help to clarify that persecutory concerns are delusional is that paranoia often resolves when its underlying causes are actually treated, whether by participating in psychotherapy that challenges cognitive distortions in the face of evidence, taking medications for psychotic disorders like schizophrenia, or stopping the use of illicit drugs well known to cause paranoia, like methamphetamines, cocaine, and sometimes marijuana or alcohol. Uh, and many benefit from a combination of these interventions. Once treated, people sometimes develop insight that the experience wasn't real after all and is best explained by paranoia. But just as often, a delusional belief may not be fully relinquished as an explanation for past events, so much as someone is simply relieved and thankful that for whatever reason the persecution has stopped. Hey, what's up, Crypt Keepers? Are you enjoying the show? If you haven't already, I suggest taking my true crime podcast, Exploring Evil, for a test drive. Exploring Evil focuses on lesser-known serial killers, occult murders, and murders with a paranormal twist, so it should be right up your alley. The Magdalena Soli episode features a prostitute who convinced a Mexican village she was a goddess. She presented with psychosis, religious delusions, delusions of grandeur, sexual perversions, sadism, incest, fetishism, vampirism, and pedophilia. You don't want to miss that one. In the Indian Blood Farm, we cover a case where a man had an outbuilding he was keeping the downtrodden. He kept them weak by continuously draining blood to sell to the local hospitals who were running on short supply. But one man escaped and told the world what was really happening. How about the Body Snatchers episode where corpses had their body parts replaced with PVC pipes so they could be sold for a profit? In the Antron Singleton case, we cover a rapper who killed and ate pieces of a woman. There's always something new and interesting to listen to and a lot of twists and turns. So check out Exploring Evil everywhere you find Cryptique. Hey, my name is Ryan. And I'm pretty sure I'm Joe. And we are the hosts of Movie Hell, a podcast all about movies and pop culture. We're two buddies who talk about this stuff anyway and wanted to share our own madness with all of you. Yeah, we have these discussions anyway and rant and rave about movies, TV, and pop culture in general, so why not share it? The objective of Movie Howl is to bring you reviews and discussions of flops to avoid, new stuff to see, and hidden gems that might end up being your new favorite. Whether you're looking for that perfect movie for Friday night or wondering if anybody else found Mr. Nobody as unsettling as you did, I'm sure there's something for everyone to enjoy, and if not, let us know and we can always learn and improve. Ah, boy, do we have room to improve. You can listen to Movie Howl on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, and pretty much anywhere else fine podcasts are curated. So... If you've ever met someone that is on methamphetamine, 
they are probably a gang stalking victim. They always think everybody's out to get them. Uh, one of the most common hallucinations that they would have or delusions they would have is that there's people in the woods and the trees watching them. It's always people that are very well hidden, just out of the line of sight. They always think people are watching them. But anyway, don't do drugs. Beliefs, whether those of targeted individuals or psychiatrists, are ultimately probability judgments where the distinction between a delusion and a normal belief is the difference between what could be true and what's likely to be true and the associated level of conviction for that judgment. I think what that's saying is that the line... You know, any gang stalking is possible. Mm -hmm. It's just very unlikely, depending on the circumstances. If you come in and you're the CEO of Raytheon. An arms company. Yeah, some kind of military contractor. If you're a high-level executive in one of those companies and you're feeling like you're being watched or followed, that's more plausible right. than if you're, I don't know, doing just any normal job if you're a line cook or if you're you know, a clerk at a gas station, or if you're, uh, or if you're a CEO of Kmart. Yeah, that's true. There's probably not much, uh, that would require that sort of, it doesn't have to be. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a menial job for it to not make sense. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a low level job. You, I, I guess in theory, yeah, you could be kind of a low level person within your organization working at some place dealing with, something sensitive or military related or classified or whatever it is, you know? And I think a, a lot of the spy stuff that I've read and watched over the years, a lot of the time that's how they get in, mm -hmm. you know, uh, the enemy spy will, you know, kind of take in somebody who's lower level, mm -hmm. somebody who's like, uh, thinks of themselves as a pencil pusher, thinks that they're not making a difference or they have some kind of lower level job and maybe they have money issues or, or whatever's going on. And they use that, you know, either, Hey, we're going to give you money for this, or, you know, you're going to be making right. a huge difference, whatever it is that's going to appeal to them. Right. You know, that's what they'll use. But in those cases, it's, it seems to me likely that you would be followed. You would be tracked. Mm -hmm. They would be figuring out what your weakness is, regardless, like you said, and that's good that you pointed that out of whether you're the CEO, the janitor, the, you know, just a guy who works on a shop floor, moving parts around or whatever. Yeah. By definition, people with delusions hold beliefs with unwarranted levels of conviction with the main evidence for the belief lying almost exclusively within the subjective experience. They often reason that, I can't be crazy because it seems so real. If they didn't, they wouldn't be delusional. In other words, if you believe you're paranoid, you're not. By way of contrast, clinicians assessing delusions must be open to and investigate the potential reality of seemingly unfounded beliefs. Recall that in Dr. Sheridan's study, 96% of individual stalking claims were judged to be real, making probabilistic judgments based on objective evidence. By most accounts, gang stalking doesn't hold up to such objective analysis for anyone other than those experiencing it. That's the confounding reality of delusions. They're ultimately grounded in subjective experience, whereas the truth is objective. Serving in the privileged position of authority as an arbiter of what's credible or not of the truth requires that one be open-minded about what's possible in the universe, aware of the breadth of culturally sanctioned beliefs, and humble about the limits of human knowledge. And so rather than succumbing to the binary bias, perhaps we should rather consider 
whether gang stalking might not be quite so black and white after all. Maybe it's not as simple as a question of paranoia or not. In part two of this series, gang stalking, conspiracy, delusion, and shared belief. So let's examine a third possibility, revisiting the intersection of conspiracy theories and shared delusions in the digital age. Conspiracy theory or delusion? Could be both, right? Or neither? Is gang stalking the belief that there's a coordinated effort to surveil, harass, and control the minds of thousands of people around the globe? A conspiracy theory, a delusion, or something else? Well, let's go a little deeper and examine the intersection of conspiracy theories and the shared delusions in the internet era. To start, let's dissect the difference between a delusion and a conspiracy theory. A delusion could be described as a belief that is contradicted by objective evidence or is at variance with what most other people believe and that is typically preoccupying held with extreme and unassailable conviction, and influences one's behavior to a significant degree. So, basically, a delusion is something that there's little evidence for, but you wholeheartedly believe, even in the uh, wake of other people telling you, no, that's probably not what's going on. Reasonable people, uh, medical professionals, law enforcement, you know, somebody like that. Right. So like a delusion would be that if you indeed step on a crack, you'll break your mother's back. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, my mom's back's all fucked up. Well, you must have stepped on some cracks then. You I just did. you just convinced me further of the uh <laughs> it's not wise a delusion. Words I heard in first grade. A conspiracy theory, which I don't really like that word or those words, but a conspiracy um, theory, that phrase, I've heard it referred to, I forget what the, I forget what they actually called it, but it's like a thought-canceling mm -hmm. stereotype or thought-canceling phrase, something like that, where it's like a thing that immediately, like when you start off saying, I have this conspiracy theory, it immediately discredits whatever comes after it. Right. Like it's, it's sort of one of those things like... Well, it's an invention of the CIA, right? They're the ones that coined that phrase. I mean, the one like when you read a headline, if it's a headline that asks a question, mm -hmm. the rule of thumb is just no. So it's like if you see this headline, that's like, is Google trying to steal everybody's cars? No, the answer is no. Like whatever they're trying to get you to think with this headline. No, the answer is no. Right. But it's like when you say conspiracy theory says this, it's like. It does the same thing to people. Right. You're like, oh, is that true? Well, probably not. So you don't even bother reading it or looking into it any further. Well, you turn your ears off after that. And then everything that that person says after that is judged based on the fact that they may or may not indulge in what's considered a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. So if, you know, Bob Smith says, you know, Project Bluebeam is real but then comes out late and you, you don't believe it. Listen to our project Bluebeam episode. But if you don't believe it, then the next time that Bob says something, you're going to be like, Oh, that guy's into conspiracy theories. It probably isn't true either. He could be saying, Hey, there's somebody that's, I don't know, stealing my mail. Mm -hmm. You know, I've, I haven't gotten a birthday card this year. I've found things missing on my front porch that I, I know were delivered. Then, you know, the, onlooker or bystander might be like, oh, 
Bob believes this too. So who knows? So it kind of discredits you for future reference too. Yeah. So conspiracy theories reject the authoritative account of reality in favor of some plot involving a group of people with malevolent intent that is deliberately kept secret from the public. And I disagree with that definition. I mean, for something to be a conspiracy, two people have to be together and decide to do something that may or may not negatively affect someone else without them knowing. That's a conspiracy. I Yeah, but I think when they're saying conspiracy theory, what this source is saying is, like, this is the type of thing that is a conspiracy theory. Right. Like, you're right. A conspiracy is more than one person plotting to do something. And a conspiracy theory, like, just defining those words just means you have a theory about what's happening. Mm-hmm. But when it's used in this phrase, which could almost be like a proper noun because it's it's such a specific thing. Yeah. Kind of the way the military doesn't want to use the term UFO anymore. Mm-hmm. Even though all it means is unidentified flying object, which has no real built-in connotation or it shouldn't. It does now. Mm-hmm. So they use UAP, mm-hmm. unidentified aerial phenomenon. Because it doesn't have that, you know, it's not, oh, we saw a UFO and people immediately go, oh, yeah, I'm sure you did. Yeah. You know, and they're playing men in black when you come back. (laughs) I I think they're just saying like that's, you know, a common way of thinking about a conspiracy theory. But right. I think conspiracy theories are also in a way kind of a more maybe a more simple way of breaking things down. Okay, You know, like we were talking the other day, there are people what we were talking about um, tracking, you know, not in one of our podcasts, just we were texting each other. Mm hmm. And we were talking about the way companies can use your information. And there are malicious things that companies can do with your stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are things that have happened where people's personal info has leaked. Mm-hmm. But it's like a conspiracy theory might be easier to swallow than dealing with like a lot of our modern world works the way it works because we agree to give up some of our privacy. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of harder to deal with. It's harder to parse out the complexity of it. Of like how much, you know, it's kind of one of those things where you have to decide for yourself how much of your stuff you want to give away. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, oh, I'm not going to use Android because of this or I'm going to use DuckDuckGo because of that. But using DuckDuckGo, you give up like more personalized or context aware search results. You know, using like a feature phone, you're giving up some of the smart features. Yeah. Um, And it, it can be almost comforting to be like, you know what? They're all watching you. They're all out to get you. Just don't use any of it. Yeah. I, I could see that also being called a conspiracy theory, but I felt that way at times. There mm-hmm. are times where I've been overwhelmed by like how much I know my tech is tracking me and how well it knows me. Yeah. And just like seeing, you know, my Google takeout results where it's like it knows where I've been. It knows what I've said. It's got recordings of the things that I've said to Google. And it's like, I don't want to try to figure this stuff out and like, kind of optimize my trade here. Mm -hmm. I just want out of it. Like, I don't think any of this is good. So, well, I mean, the thing that's scary to me is the immediacy. You know, I go to eBay, I type in, you know, weight tree because I want to get a a rack to put all my weights on. And I click, you know, search. And then I get a message that pops up on my phone and I'm like, Oh, well, what's on I click Facebook and boom, there's three weight trees that are, 
you know, waiting to be sold to me. And Mm -hmm. the immediacy, I think, is kind of scary because it happens instantaneously. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and there's no going back. That's what I try and teach my kids. Like, if you send a text to somebody, be prepared for that to be brought up in a job interview 15 years from now. Yeah. And I don't, and not a conspiracy theory way. I'm just saying, you know, w- what you put out there is always out there and will always be out there. Yeah. Yeah. The days of like, Growing up as a kid, and you can go to the park and get into like a fist fight with another kid, mm-hmm. and nobody else may ever know about it. Yeah. Other than the two of you that were involved, like you're not going to get in trouble necessarily or whatever, but it's like if you say the wrong thing online, right? That theoretically lives forever. I am so glad to have grown up without that stuff, without mm-hmm. every dumb thing I ever said you know, memorialize somewhere online or, you know, that the first social media I had was MySpace, which I barely used and went away. It's just gone. (laughs) Like, well, yeah. Facebook killed them mm -hmm. literally. Yeah. So anyway, just, you know, something that can be seen as a conspiracy theory that others would characterize as a conspiracy theory might just be, you know, kind of a core belief that you have that is real. You know, I don't like these guys having my information. I don't like them watching me. I'm not willing to make a trade or figure out like exactly what they're collecting and how I want to allow that to happen. I just don't want any of it. And then people might call you conspiracy theorist and they might worry about how credible you are. Cause I've experienced that myself. There have been periods where I'm like, you know what? Yeah. I see ads for stuff that I've just searched or, you know, I'm aware now that Google's tracking this about me or Apple's tracking that. And I just want to break from it all. And yeah. I'll just stick my SIM card in a dumb phone and go for a hike. Yeah. And that's it. Like, I'll just like, yeah. I'm just not using a smartphone for a month or two. Yeah. And people are like, oh, what's what's up with Ryan? <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, oh, he's on one of his conspiracy things again. You know. Science thought they had that figured out 10 years ago. They were wrong. Science yeah. thought they had that figured out 25 years ago. They were wrong. What makes you 100% sure that they're not wrong this time? And in 25 years, you're going to look back and be like, I can't believe I believed that. You know, they were so wrong. And that's that's just the, and I'm not pointing anything out that's negative about science. That's just the reality of our world. We try to mm-hmm. be as right as we can with the information that we have at the time but it's never guaranteed a hundred percent that you're right. And, Mm -hmm. and things change science and history change more than anything else. It's like eggs. Eggs are a great example because it seems like every four years they say, Oh, eggs are terrible for you. They're very high in this or no eggs are great. You should eat eggs every day right? or, you know, whatever. It's like, Oh, you should eat eggs, but eat them sparingly or only eat the white part. No, no, no. Only eat the yellow part. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They can't make up their mind. There are certain things that just seem to go back and forth or, or diets and trends that. Oh, diets come and for go. sure. Diets and, and working out. Both delusions and conspiracy theories can be held with varying degrees of conviction, but are typically held with very high levels that are unwarranted by objective evidence. And while both occasionally turn out to be true, they cease to be considered delusions or conspiracy theories when that's the case. If you have what's considered a delusion that 
there's a cop car parked out in front of your house with a camera pointed at your house every day and then you videotape it and it's there and you show people and they agree it's not a delusion right and it's the same thing with a conspiracy theory sure it's a little different with conspiracy theories because there can be you know varying degrees as to what's found later to be correct like mm-hmm. with the project bluebeam yeah i think they're probably going to plan a fake alien invasion i don't believe all the other stuff out of it but so it could still be considered a conspiracy theory but if it's proven totally right a hundred percent everything in the conspiracy theory happened and is found out it's not a conspiracy theory anymore it's just the truth yeah it's one of those things like what we were talking about earlier that you know delusion is a delusion because it's not supported by evidence right yeah or yeah. or you're you're thought to be delusional because somebody has made a judgment that you know the thing that you think is happening is technically possible but very unlikely given the circumstances and that's yeah. kind of what i think of a conspiracy theory as like yeah it's possible but why would they do it you know there's a lot of stuff that people say like oh the government's doing this or doing that and it's like but but why like that's the thing that i you know that i've talked to you about before like when we've talked about some theories it's like if you can show me a good reason i'm willing to believe it Mm-hmm. So I think maybe that, you know, that may be different than the definition that some of the authors we've read have given. Yeah. But I think that's probably a good like litmus test for me is like, you know, is it really something that I should look at as a conspiracy theory? And it's like only if it's something that is so far beyond what is reasonable to believe or to expect. Right. Given the circumstances. And so far. Yes. Yes. The level which it exceeds probability makes it a conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Since it's impossible to judge the truth about certain perplexing questions concerning the nature of the universe or human existence, and because having faith in various unproved explanations is clearly normal, psychiatry's definition of delusion excludes culturally sanctioned beliefs such as religious creeds. However, I think I may have mentioned this on another podcast but the religious texts at my library are um, categorized in the same uh, section as like myths and folklore indeed delusions that are evidence of mental illness are not typically shared because they are not typically shareable often this hinges upon a self-referential component to the belief For example, it's easy to find people who share the belief that God can talk to people or that there will be a second coming of Christ, but much harder to find people who believe God has told you you are the Messiah. Herein lies a crucial distinction between delusions and conspiracy theories. Delusions often contain a self-referential component involving the believer, whereas conspiracy theories usually don't. So, I mean, that makes sense. In that sense, gang stalking is part conspiracy theory, the general belief that there's a covert and coordinated effort to surveil, harass, and control people all over the world, and paranoid delusion, the more specific belief that it's happening to oneself. The conspiracy theory part of gang stalking is shared by many people with various levels of conviction, whereas the delusional part is shared only among those few who are convinced that it's happening to them. Because paranoid people believe that they're being 
targeted, they accept that others are too, which, you know, makes sense. If you think that it's happening to you, then of course it could happen to anybody. Unless you believe you're so much more special than that other person that's saying they're also a targeted individual. Yeah, I guess that's true. There could be a narcissistic element to it. But yeah, it goes to the same low-level belief that it's happening. It's real. Right. So here's where things get tricky. By definition, delusions aren't supposed to be shared. Except that it's well-recognized that sometimes they are. Historically, this has been described as a folie adieu. French for craziness of two, uh, or more recently shared psychotic disorder. Before that diagnosis was all but eliminated in the fifth edition of the DSM five or the diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. We mentioned it before, but we didn't say the DSM acronym. Mm -hmm. Traditionally shared delusions have been understood as a result of a dominant individual with delusional beliefs, convincing a subordinate that the beliefs are true whether in a relationship between two people, like a parent or child, husband and wife, or some larger group, like a cult and a leader or a cult follower. Of course, if delusions can be shared to some degree, it leaves unanswered the questions of how many people it takes to share a delusion for it to cease to become a delusion. This conundrum has become more challenging in the internet era, as we discussed previously. Um, So does the internet promote delusional thinking? A hundred years ago, you might search an entire town and still not find anyone who buys into your unconventional belief. But these days, you can search across the entire planet with a few simple clicks of a button, vastly increasing your chances of finding support. In other words, the internet has made it infinitely easier to find people who might share or claim to share even the most unconventional beliefs. And there may be no better example of this than gang stalking, where self-described targeted individuals have found an online haven from social stigma among like-minded individuals with whom they share common experiences, providing evidence that their experiences are real. A recent phenomenological survey of gang stalking provides a striking illustration of how the vast majority of information on gang stalking exists online, often in the form of subjective experiences as opposed to objective analysis. Gang stalking phenomenon appears to be relatively common based on the seven and a half million results that you get when Googling gang stalking, although only one empirical study of gang stalking has been published. Tellingly, when the results of this survey from 2020 were compared to those of an earlier 2015 sample, respondents reported a greater frequency of believing that gang stalking was part of a global conspiracy that's being covered up by the, quote, establishment, end quote. It's quite possible that these differences reflect the explosion of online accounts of gang stalking over the past five years, as well as the proliferation of other conspiracy theories during a period of growing mistrust. Indeed, recent gang stalking survey respondents were also more likely than those from 2015 to report finding support online, while counterintuitively being more likely to feel isolated and lonely. Nice job on counterintuitively. That's a good one. (laughs) As we previously discussed, support groups, whether in person or online, present something of a dilemma with regard to the people with psychotic symptoms. On the one hand, those with hallucinations or delusions can find valued support on the internet when it hasn't been otherwise available and when they refuse to seek psychiatric care. But on the other hand, such validation can also be harmful, reinforcing false beliefs and keeping people away from potentially helpful interventions in the form of actual treatment beyond simple support. I I mean, if you 
just look at a gang stalking support group like Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm -hmm. When you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, they're going to say, you know, I'll share my story. Uh, One time, you know, I woke up by a fire hydrant. My wallet was gone. I was in my underwear and I had no idea how I got there. Or if you went to a different meeting, they might be like, dude, I got so drunk the other night and this hot chick was, you know, grinded on my lap and we had so much. Well, it's two totally different groups. One Mm. is trying to seek healing and the other one is just trying to gain um, kind of validation or recognition. Yeah. Yeah. Validation's perfect. So yeah, they're, they're looking for validation and a reason to continue with the, you know, at best highly questionable belief that they're being gang stalked. So beyond reinforcing delusional beliefs and other psychotic symptoms and keeping people away from potential help, another intriguing possibility that might help to explain gang stalking is that mistaking fiction for fact on the internet can create psychosis like symptoms Yeah. So beyond their own individual experiences, online discussions between TIs often cite historical examples of the alleged weaponization of microwaves by foreign governments. For example, from the 1950s to the 1970s, the U.S. Embassy in Moscow were subjected to 2.5 to 4 gigahertz microwaves, or the Moscow signal, for reasons that remain unclear to this day. Despite the U.S. State Department and Johns Hopkins University collaborating on a study that found no evidence of any health effects from such exposure, public knowledge of the incident resulted in widespread panic about the invisible threat here in the U.S. from the zapping of America via sources ranging from TV antennas to microwave ovens. Well, hold on just a second. I would like to know how this study went. So did they uh, take healthy people and subject them to to the Moscow signal to the 2.5 to 4.0 gigahertz microwaves for an extended period of time and see if there were any negative health effects? Or did they take John Johnson, who was an ambassador that worked there at the uh, U.S. Embassy in Moscow, and take his, you know, health report from 1947 and his you know, check up from 1953 and see if there were any differences. Because just saying that there's a study leaves it really wide open as to how that study was conducted. And if it's the second way where they just checked, you know, their health three years before and three years after, I don't think that that's a, you know, a solid resource. That's true. More recently, American diplomats and their family members reported hearing zapping, buzzing, grinding, or pulsing noises while stationed in Cuba starting in 2016, with the subsequent development of various physical symptoms like nausea, headaches, dizziness, and hearing loss. This led to fears of being subjected to stealthy attacks with sonic weapons and hearing microwaves via something called the microwave auditory effect or the Fry effect. This possible exposure was investigated by the FBI as well as researchers at the University of Pennsylvania that published an uncontrolled case series documenting evidence of widespread brain network dysfunction similar to that seen in mild traumatic brain injury or concussion and suggesting a causal link to reported directional audible and or sensory phenomenon of unknown origin we know that sound waves are real 
in what mm-hmm. they can do. We know, I, I mean, everybody's seen the videos of people that are trying to break up crowds, pull in with these black SUVs with the tinted windows, with the freaking uh, satellite dish looking thing. And mm-hmm. they, they point it at the crowd and the crowd disperses because there are like, for instance, the eight Hertz. Mm-hmm sound will make you feel anxiety and fear but you can't hear it you can't feel it it just reacts with your brain that way and we know that animals like tigers use infrasound to stun their prey before they go in and attack it and so we know that this is possible that's not a conspiracy can you agree with me on that yeah Okay. Yeah, it's a real technology. It's a real possibility. Yeah. A subsequent neuroimaging study reported significant white matter changes in the brains of a larger group of potentially exposed subjects compared to controls. As a result, U.S. State Department officials became convinced that there was medical evidence of a sonic microwave attack and regarded it as a legitimate threat. Likewise, various academic researchers have since published papers supporting the theory that the Havana syndrome was caused by pulsed microwave radiation. Note that even if the Havana syndrome could actually be explained by microwave attacks perpetrated by the likes of foreign entities like Russia, we'd still need a plausible explanation. Recalling that paranoia and grandiosity are two sides of the same coin, of why such attacks would also be directed at average Joes here in the U.S. to account for gang stalking. But in reality, there's very little objective evidence to support that microwave attacks do offer the best explanation for Havana syndrome. Several other theories, just as plausible, if not more so, have attributed to sonic attacks, to the sounds of the Jamaican field cricket, and the various symptoms to a classic case of mass hysteria. I have a bit of a problem with mass hysteria. It's been described in the... Mad Gasser Mattoon episode where 12 different houses were attempted to be broke into or they they actually saw prowlers outside their windows and went and checked and there were footprints outside their windows and things like that. And the sheriff was like, ah, it's mass hysteria. Well, it's not mass hysteria. There were 12 people that have evidence that this happened. That's not mass hysteria. With the uh, dancing plague, are you familiar with that? Yeah, I am actually. So they consider that mass hysteria. I have no idea what could have caused it. I, I think that mass hysteria is a very overused term. Yeah, I would agree. And just to be clear to the audience, the what we're doing is kind of reviewing some of this research and commenting on it. You know, probably half of what you're hearing is our thoughts and maybe half of it is what we're getting from these research sources. So that's why we're disagreeing with some of the things that we're saying, because some of it is just coming from, from research sources. And I would agree with what you're saying that I don't, I don't love these explanations. I think that, you know, we do know that sonic weapons can be real you know, that sound can be used for different purposes. Even when it comes to a scientific explanation for like a haunting, mm-hmm. it usually comes down to some kind of sound issue. Mm-hmm. You know, there was uh, the case of this lab. I'm sure everybody's probably heard this story. I don't remember the first time I heard it. It was probably on TV or whatever, but there was uh, a lab and everybody in this lab at this university 
had these weird experiences. They thought they would see shadows or whatever. And they like felt, you know, like you were saying before, anxious or just felt like they were watched, like they were not alone. Mm -hmm. And what they found out was there was like a bearing that was going bad in a fan. Mm -hmm. And it was causing it to make this like really low frequency sound. And when they replaced that bearing or fixed that fan or whatever they did, they removed that sound and all those symptoms were gone. All the right. sort of, you know, haunting feelings that people had just went away. So that tells you right there, not that ghosts aren't real. Right. <laughs> our, our paranormal podcast is not telling you that, but that, you know, sound, whether intentional or not can have this effect on us. And so if you're a foreign government, you know, a f- another government is a great target. For right. That. If you want to disrupt something, if you're like, what will this do? Will this hurt somebody? Like, I don't know. Let's admit it's somebody we don't like. That's the on the Americans. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the thing. Sound, I'm 99% sure of this, that sound is the only sense that you take in that's that just passes the prefrontal cortex. So it just goes in you. There's no... Um, hmm you're not trying to put things in order. You're not trying to listen for specific things. You're not trying to analyze what's going on. It It just goes right in. Yeah. It doesn't require interpretation. Right. So, you know, there are things like uh, strobe lights on these safety flashlights they sell that are supposed to disable an attacker, you know, passively in the same way that a sound would be used, but it's, it's, attacking their interpretation it's not going like straight into their brain if that makes Uh sense uh dr robert bartholomew a sociologist and expert in mass psychogenic illness has written extensively in his own psychology today blog called it's catching and elsewhere about his conclusion that the havana syndrome is best explained by psychogenic illness claiming i'll stake my career on it he has noted that while initial symptoms were reported by only a small number of people, it later spread when reports of a possible sonic attack first appeared and others were warned about it. Now, I kind of buy that a little bit. That Do you? If you have, I, I mean, I buy that it's possible. You sure. Know, it's one of those things where it's like once you hear about, well, it's like COVID. When you hear about the sim- you know, flu-like symptoms, you know, loss of taste or smell, it's like you might start to think about it like, oh, am I smelling everything the way I did before? Like, is my sense of smell strong like it was? You might start to, even if you don't have it, you might start right. to think you do. You know, everybody sure. knows somebody who's, if not a hypochondriac, just might be more susceptible to thinking like, well, mm-hmm. I was around somebody who was sick. So am I sick now? And they're kind of looking for symptoms that may not be there and they might convince themselves that they have it. So I can buy that a little bit. And just as a quick um, aside here, psychogenic, the definition is having a psychological origin or cause rather than a physical one. Mm -hmm. So just in case you didn't know, I had to look it up too. So don't feel bad. (laughs) I know you knew, Ryan, but I'm talking to our listeners. Oh, yeah, of course. All right, go ahead. Mass psychogenic illness, formerly known as mass hysteria, a more pejorative term that's no longer favored, describes the well-documented occurrence of groups of people reporting various nonspecific symptoms in response to stress, fears, and perceived threats, especially through the power of suggestion related to a specific fear. This basically just relates back to what we were talking about, that 
when you hear about a thing and you're afraid of that thing, you think you have that thing. Mm-hmm. It's about as simple as that. Yeah. When you think about when you find out your kid has lice, you start to feel itchy. When you find out that somebody you know is sick, you start to feel sick, whether you're really sick or not. Uh, more accurately, though, we become hyper vigilant and notice every little itch or symptom that would normally rise to the level of our conscious awareness. Dr. Bartholomew has noted that social media may be shifting the contagion of psychogenic illness such that related outbreaks can occur well beyond small isolated groups. Something similar has been cited as an explanation for Morgellon syndrome, an example of delusional infestation that has become somewhat popular as an internet meme. Which we'll do an episode on one day because there's a lot of things with Morgellons or Morgellons that are physical manifestations. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll talk then about whether you can, you know, physically manifest something out of your mind or your fear. But anyway. So it is possible that gang stalking like Havana syndrome or Havana syndrome, I keep going back and forth on my pronunciation and a growing number of similar experiences spreading like a contagion around the world might represent a variant of psychogenic illness on a much larger scale. Rather than internet affiliation providing helpful support for TIs, an increasing amount of online information claiming that gang stalking is real might be causing thousands of people to worry about mass public surveillance, harassment, and being victimized by experiments with high-tech weapons and implanted devices. Activated by such concerns, people might start to look for evidence of threats in their own personal lives. Some might maintain general concerns at the level of a conspiracy theory, while others looking to account for symptoms like hearing voices and physical discomforts might be more susceptible to developing frank paranoia. Hate that son of a bitch. (laughs) You beat me to it. Uh, With growing alienation, fears about emerging technology and mistrust in government, it's not hard to see how gang stalking might fulfill several psychological needs that have been found to be associated with belief in conspiracy theories such as certainty, closure, and uniqueness. Okay, so that that is one of our research notes, and I do think that certainty and closure is a part of a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. I think it's I think it's a reason why people lock on to certain conspiracy theories that are otherwise kind of unlikely because it's more comfortable, more convenient, whether that's mentally or practically to just go like, like I was saying earlier, like avoid all this technology. Mm-hmm. None of it's good. You right. know, it's a it's an easy thing that makes it black and white. Yeah, it does. It makes it black and white and it makes it easy to just say like, well, the safest thing is just don't trust it at all. Don't use it at all, which is true. That Mm -hmm. is the safest thing to do. Like the only way to win is not to play. Right. That's (laughs) true. You don't if you don't put your information out there at all, you're never really at risk. You might be missing out on something, but you're not at risk for the negative consequences you think might be coming. Mm -hmm. So and, and I don't even think that in a lot of cases, people who subscribe to what others would call a conspiracy theory really buy everything about it. It's just one of those things where you're weighing the risks and rewards. And if it's the risk of this thing is all my information gets leaked and I can't get a job in 10 years because of something I said in a call of duty, you know, match lobby, Mm -hmm. like, then the safest thing is just not to be involved in any of it. Like don't, don't put any of your information out there. Don't use your real name or, or an email address that really links back to you in any concrete way. 
like it sounds like a conspiracy theory and other people would call you a conspiracy theorist but believing it is in a way more practical Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah it does It, it does it it validates everything that you're thinking first of all mm-hmm. because you're saying no obviously this is all real so i was right about all the you know the little things like well, not little things but all the other things like gang stalking i was right on that because everything mm-hmm. is is true closure cuts you down as far as i i think you don't even really feel the need to discuss it with people anymore you're just like okay i know this is real i know they don't believe me that's just how it is now. Mm-hmm. And with gang stalking in particular, I think uniqueness applies because while it's scary to think that there's people watching us, it can also be exhilarating. People love roller coasters and it's not because they're so comfortable for your back and they're nice and <laughs> relaxing. They love them because it scares them and it brings yeah. exhilaration and the uniqueness that you must feel if you think these people are after me for something uh maybe you feel like you haven't realized your full potential and they see it and they have to stop you and it becomes like a movie for you Mm -hmm. a really not extreme version of kind of a conspiracy theory could be people who use an iphone because they have a theory that Google is collecting all of your data and storing it or handing it over to the government or whatever else. Mm-hmm. Because by this sort of definition, it provides certainty and closure that you made the right decision with the operating system and the phone you use. Mm-hmm. Like I believe Google's all bad. So I use an iPhone, mm-hmm. you know, and by the same token, you can think like, well, Apple's, just a greedy giant corporation that only wants to overcharge you for everything. So I made the right, the right decision going with another manufacturer that runs Android. Right. Cause I know that Apple's just going to try to limit me and force me to buy AirPods max that cost twice what they should. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like those are in a way conspiracy theories that are mm-hmm. super common. Like if you post something online or on Twitter, well, maybe not on Twitter. I think Twitter's got a lot of iPhone users, but yeah, I'm sure they do. It, it seems like if you're on any tech forum and you're like, hey, my iPhone did this, there are going to be Android people coming out of the woodwork. They'll be like, oh, yeah, that's not a problem on Android. Like you can do this. And mm-hmm. It's the same the other way, too. It's like, well, this right. is why you don't buy an Android because they screw up. There, there are a lot of people who whatever their thing is like. They think Chevy just uses like cheap, crappy parts to get as much money out of you as possible. Or they think Ford doesn't care about your safety. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. I guess I'm just bristling against the use of conspiracy theory so much here. Maybe we need to just do an episode on what a conspiracy theory is. Yeah, I mean, I just think I just really don't like the term conspiracy theory. Because it just makes everything sound like it's nuts. Well, it's like a slur on questioning. Yeah, it it's there should almost be a, another thing. It's like a, a comforting belief. Mm-hmm. That's like a low grade conspiracy theory. Comforting belief. Google's evil, so I'm going to use iPhone. Comforting belief. Mm-hmm. Apple's trying to steal all my money. I'm going to use an Android. Comforting belief. 
you know? They're it's, all it's, evil, it's a, but I have to pick one. So I pick the one that I <laughs> used for the past 10 years. Yeah. It's, so I don't have to relearn something. Yeah. It's a comforting. It's just a thing that you can believe that helps you and comforts you. And it can be based on evidence or not and whatever, but it's something that nobody's going to really criticize you for, but people will criticize you. If you think that, you know, fluoride in your water is doing something else or the chemtrails are doing whatever the fuck chemtrails are supposed to do. Dude, we give kids conspiracy theories from the get go. Santa, your whole life as a kid, you've been told that these magical reindeer and this fat old man that lives at the North pole with a bunch of little people working for him, making toys (laughs) flies around the earth every Christmas and brings gifts to all the good kids and kids believe it. Yeah. I believed it. And then you, uh, you know, you get to be, I think I was four, but you know, kids believe a lot longer than that too, where you're just like shot down. I mean like, Oh my gosh, you've been lying to me about one of the most important things in the world. Is God real? Yeah. I think I was four when I realized that my parents never told me. I just realized it when I was a little kid Mm -hmm. because my handwriting was bad. My dad's handwriting was passable. My brother's was okay, but my mom's was really good Mm -hmm. and it was really good in kind of a unique way. And I, I was like four when I was like, mommy, this looks like your handwriting. Yeah. Like I was like, I was, I remember being a little kid. And I was like, this looks exactly like a note. My, my mom would leave. Right. You know, like something that would come to that. I would see on like a report card. And I think part of it was like when we were little kids, the school I went to, like you were supposed to take your like lesson planner thing home with you mm-hmm. and have your parents sign it to see it, to show that they saw it and like what you were working on that sure. week. So I've seen my parents handwriting a million times mm-hmm. as a little kid. And I was like, yeah, I was a little like kindergarten CSI figuring <laughs> matching handwriting samples. But yeah, I just remember being a little kid and I was like, the Santa stuff doesn't add up. And that handwriting looks awfully familiar. Yeah. I remember being like, dad, Santa brought me a bike and it looks just like the bike you showed me in the evidence locker at the police station last week. It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) When I was a kid, I did. I was a little like, um, like you're talking about, like, well, if if this isn't real, like, have you been lying to me about other stuff? Mm -hmm. I got over it pretty quick, but it was one of those things that kind of does shake your worldview as a little kid. Yeah. It's, it's a weird thing. And it's funny that kids from other places don't necessarily have the same belief. I wonder how American this whole Santa thing is. Cause I was it's funny enough. I was just listening to an old episode. I think it was of this American life mm-hmm. a while ago. They were rebroadcasting this um, really, really funny story that this guy wrote about being a, an elf at, the Macy's department store, like mm-hmm. probably back in the, I think in the nineties. Was it still big time in the nineties? Yeah. But he's talking about, you know, how many kids are in there and it takes hours and hours to get them all yeah. through. And, you know, some of the Santas have like different routines that they go through and stuff that they like to ask. And the one, you know, sometimes he'll ask like, are you going to leave, you know, what are you going to leave me to eat? Mm-hmm. And the kid will be like, cookies. He's like, what kind of cookies? And the kid will be like, chocolate chip. And then the elf is supposed to be like, that's Santa's favorite kind of cookie. 
Yeah. And it's like, the guy's like, it's killing me inside to say this stuff. <laughs> like, but, uh, no, they, they were saying that one kid came in was like Chinese or something, mm-hmm. you know, was like clearly fairly new to being in the United States. And she came in and, you know, they did the whole thing, took the picture and Santa's like, are you going to leave me something to eat? And she's like, what? he's like you know something round and she's like a potato (laughs) and like just had no clue (laughs) that's awesome no in other countries dude like italy it's a witch a witch brings presents really yeah i didn't know that yeah i learned all about that in my krampus research yeah santa is not as big as he would have you believe (laughs) (laughs) big santa yeah. Pulling the wool over our eyes. Yeah. Uh, NORAD doesn't have to track him through Asia. Let's put it that way. <laughs> if you are flying in a plane 10,000 feet and you fall out, will you live? No. But someone has. Yeah. So there's, there's always that. It, I just saw a thing on a lady that her parachute didn't open at all and she fell like you know she fell into like a hay field or something like that but um, mm. there's always the sliver of possibility that it could be true if it's true for one person then there's probably going to be 10,000 people that feel like oh yeah it could be me too yeah I don't know but you know if you know somebody that feels like they're being gang stalked don't laugh at them don't ridicule them don't make fun of them try to show concern but not feed into it and try and ask them if they've sought help for it because yeah everybody can benefit from talking to a therapist it doesn't mean that you don't have to be a victim of gang stalking to go see a therapist. Everyone can benefit, you know, no matter what. So suggesting therapy to someone shouldn't be a, a taboo thing, especially if they're, you know, experiencing something like this, you could really make a difference in somebody's life. Mm -hmm. I absolutely agree. And if you're somebody yourself, who's experienced gang stalking, call us. Well, yeah. I mean, maybe let us know, but also, you know, if you have family members who are trying to help you or, you know, even if they don't believe you, let them help, let them, you know, even if you don't think it's really going to do any good, let them try to help you. Yeah. Give them a chance because it'll make them feel better. And it might make you feel better. You might be experiencing something real and they can help you find it out. Or you might be experiencing symptoms of something else and this might find it out. And if you are being stalked by an ex boyfriend, husband, girlfriend, lover, whatever, take that very seriously. And if you know someone that's maybe being stalked or is apprehensive about going to the police, then definitely give them support and and help them to do what they need to do. Because it's, I, I believe when I was talking to my dad last night, who's an ex-police officer, he said something like, 79% of women that are killed are killed by the ex-husband, current husband, you know, ex-lover, whatever. So mm-hmm. it, that usually starts by being a stalker. So, yeah. Yeah.
So do we want to call for anything for emails? Just let us know if you have a gang stalking experience. I guess let us know also if you have any really good uh, Wi-Fi names. Yeah. Tell us the best Wi-Fi names you've seen. If you don't have any gang stalking stuff to contribute. Absolutely. We're interested to know. All right, everybody. That's all we've got for gang stalking on Cryptique tonight. Thank you so much for listening, Crypt Keepers. Remember to subscribe. And you can always email us at crypticpodcast at gmail.com with case suggestions or any of the answers to the questions we've asked tonight. Have a great night.